What's going on, Trail and Ultra Runners? Welcome to another episode of the Coopcast, a podcast where we explore all areas of ultra running, including training, racing, nutrition, physiology, psychology, as well as have a little bit of fun banter along the way. In those last two areas of psychology and fun banter, we have got in spades for you on this episode of the podcast. With me today is none other than Kristen Keim, who's a sports psychologist out of Newberry, South Carolina, and she has one of the more renowned practices in sports psychology today that consists of all different types of endurance athletes, cyclists, triathletes, runners, and MMA fighters. In particular, she works with many of the country's best female cyclists, many of whom we mention by name throughout the course of this podcast. We also discuss her modus operandi, which is happy racers go faster, which not only reflects her own innate positivity, but also her relentless pursuit to get the most out of the athletes she works with by centering on a philosophy that the person is first. Kristen's practice blends her academic background in clinical psychology with her personal background as a former national caliber cyclist. And you'll definitely feel that theme of an athlete who has been there and done that fused with a practitioner that wants to do the same with her athletes. I caught Kristen right after she presented to our coaching group and we bring some of those lessons into this conversation on how athletes should focus internally, how they can go about building a village and how happiness and fiery competitiveness can in fact coexist. We also spent some time going over how ultra running is this fantastic case study in mental fortitude and specific strategies on how to prevent the dreaded DNF. I think regardless of the kind of endurance athlete you are, ultra runner, cyclist, you'll gain valuable insight into how to step up your mental game. Kristen's outgoing pull no punches and insightful demeanor is infectious right down to her very laugh that's punctuated by her subtle and dare I say beautiful Southern drawl. And I must warn you, there's a sprinkle of salty language interspersed in this podcast. So consider yourself forewarned. Let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with sports psychologist, Kristen Keim. First off, I appreciate like what you did for the coaches the other day. They found that really insightful. And Oh, good. I, I hope. That's, that's when I'm like, did, what the hell did I just talk about? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's funny because um, I'm, I'm, I'm always brought back to this fact that um, when I, when I was going through a lot of my initial coach training, there was a, mm-hmm. a, a very heavy physiology basis to that. And there wasn't a formal system for it. First mm-hmm. off, I mean, there's not mm-hmm. like, there's like, there are very few coaching degrees out there. Exactly. And there, yes. Yes. And they're starting to emerge more and more and more mm-hmm. in but a they're university very different setting. even that because a lot of them like I know University of Washington has one now, mm-hmm. but it's very scaled towards team sports yep. like football and stuff yep. like that, not endurance, which is different, yep. to- completely to- different. To- you need to be a sports physiologist and a coach. Yep, it's the problem. Yeah, it, but that those didn't. 
exist with no. with very very rare exceptions yeah. uh when i started to get into coaching and so as a as like a byproduct of that like i had to kind of like you know, i had to kind of like seek out how to get mm-hmm. education mm-hmm. and it was a combination of certifications which are primarily driven by the national governing bodies so usa right. cycling and usa triathlon and usa track and field um uh mentorship that i could get from our own coaching group yes and our own coaching huge. group and that's huge and our own coaching group they all have extra science degrees and things like that so that's right. kind of like their lens uh their kind of lens that they uh that they look through and so as a as a, as a byproduct of that like it's very extra science and physiology oriented yeah and you know I don't know, maybe 10 years ago or something like that, like I started to just like recognize that I had this like huge hole in my game mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. sports psychology because mm-hmm. I'd never taken it in in, in school. It yep. hadn't been overtly reinforced in any mm-hmm. of those, mm-hmm. you know, certifications or any of the mentorship, anything mm-hmm. like that. There's a little bit of it, but not a whole lot. Right. And so I started to seek out, you know, ways to kind of like round that game out and that goes on for forever because once you're behind <laughs> the eight ball, you know, I've been coached for 10 years, right? right? If I split my, split my career, my 20 year career in half, yeah. I've been coaching for 10 years and I'm like, Oh crap, I've got this big hole in my game. I'm going to fix it. I'm still always going to be like deficient in that. So whenever yeah. we bring in uh, sports psych people to, to help our coaches up their game, I always feel like I get like an extra, like an extra dose of, of education. So I'm very appreciative uh, that you could come in and do it's that. Very, yeah. And for me, I'm just like, uh, it's, it's that. I mean, those questions were, were, were fantastic, like I said, um, because I just it already shows probably the edge more of the human side and sports psych. And what is sports psych? I mean, I think that's another piece that we go down. It's like, you know, I got my master's in sports psych, but most of my work comes from my doctorate in clinical. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm very more um, instead of psycho, psychopathology, which I think when I was working just as a psychologist, um, but getting my master's in sports psych helped me as a psychologist in a hospital that I had different than my than the other my colleagues. Yep. Right. Um, because I was going in not looking at what how do I diagnose you, what medicine. I went in like, okay, what are your strengths? Mm-hmm. Even if you're a drug addict, you still have strengths. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So um, and you know, and I think that that's you know when I was in my master's program, I had a um, professor who just you know, took me aside literally and was like, I think you probably want to work with like Olympic high level athletes. Cause I was myself and she knew that. And she's like, to do that, she's just she's blunt. She's like, you're going to have to get your doctorate. Like, this is not going to yeah. be just what the master's program can teach you. Um, but it also opened up doors where you, you know, have more opportunity to, to help people. Um, but you're going to have to do a lot more work. <laughs> <laughs> And I've always appreciated the practice that you've built up because it's been an interesting one. It's been, it's been interesting to observe from afar because it's it's hard to promote the athletes that you work with because of the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. we like when we're a coach, like that that proposition is just a whole lot easier. It is. You know, we completely. can say, listen, I work with so and so athletes. There's a little bit of appeal to authority there. Exactly. Other people look at that and, you know, there's a snowball effect. Mm-hmm. But with the work that you do, that has to explicitly come from the athlete. Uh, exactly. Yes. And yes. W- w- and even then I don't really I've I've actually backed away from 
like I used to share. Uh-huh. So like if the only times I'll share usually is like Kate Courtney won worlds. Right. Well, I'm not, not going to share that. I was there, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but, I, but then I had athlete, you know, who might've also meddled, you know? So it's just right. that weird, um, it's, it, it sometimes becomes uncomfortable, but you know what the best didn't do is just a, the elephant in the room, talk about it. Like, you know, how did you, was that okay? You know, just like, how did you feel? Um, you know, and I think it's just humanizing it, but yeah, like, um, yeah, it's, it is a lot trickier. It really, really, really is. And, um, you know, but at the same time, what I'm working on doing is not having it be, I want to, you know, not to say it's just like coaching, but I don't, a lot of the reasons why maybe people don't want to is they don't want people to know they're working with right. sports psychologists. Right. I want it to be like, well, I have no issues talking about, you know, my new, who my nutritionist is and my coach is. And I feel just as comfortable who my mental training or sports psychologist is. Just like my doctor is so-and-so and my psychologist is so-and-so. My psychiatrist is so-and-so. But that's what that's what I've been so appreciative of if, is the athletes that you work with have been very open and honest about the fact that they are working with you, and that mm-hmm. hasn't always been the case. It still mm-hmm. is somewhat like taboo. For, oh, it is. For, yeah, for yeah, a, yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, for for a high level athlete to work with uh, somebody in the sports psych realm, because there's a little bit of like, you know, weakness associated with it or whatever. Totally. And, there's and still no the biases. Da- yeah. And make no doubt about it. I mean, you work with the best of the best. Mm-hmm. And if anything, I have that, for like 10, 11 years. I know. So, it's, yeah. I mean, so anyway, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> my really first appreciative. client was because it's funny, my first client wasn't and then went on to like literally be the best in the world, like the yeah. first American ever to be the out of men and women, you know, in yeah. like the world tour, right? So, um, but that also took that athlete. 10 plus years to get there. Right. There's no magic fix. We're going to, we're going to talk about there's no magic fix. Cause I'm sure that's something that you run across with the athletes that you yes. encounter. I don't know how but, Barry does is what I but, say. <laughs> so let's set the table about, uh, let's set the table first with like your framework. And mm-hmm. I like, I, I like to start to peel back the onion layers on people's mantras because I think okay, it like yeah. reveal it reveals a lot about how they view the world and how they view their professional practice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Your yours is happy racers go faster. It is and it's still on the t-shirts but it, it definitely hasn't it's I'd say like 2018 2019 it really robusted and like it like fully clarified but um it wasn't me. It was um, when I was working at, at Highland Hospital doing my um, pre-doc. Um, and, and and in that, I was working with um, in a pain clinic where uh, a high significant amount of my clients were actually um, borderline personality disorder. And I was also working in neuropsych where I was doing, you know, robust 10-hour you know, neuropsych tests that took me three weeks to write up. But... I also was trying to still keep my head in sports psychology and keeping one arm in there because I didn't want to close the door and get trapped, which a lot of my colleagues did. They just went full clinical, mm-hmm. you know, and don't really have any sports like peace, peace to their practice. And I just knew I was like, no, I want to be a sports psychologist. Like I want to work with athletes. And what I learned out of it was I wanted to actually work with people that wanted to get help. 
And a lot of times when you work clinical or in a hospital, you're, these aren't people coming to you because they really want to change, you know, and most athletes, at least if I feel like it's going to be a good fit, I can tell that they're willing to do the work because I'm not going to, it's not just sitting here talking to me like you could to your best friend, right? right? There's going to be homework. It's training in a way, you know? So, um, but I, uh, I was working with um, Megan Garnier. I can talk, yep. you know, share about that. She's retired. But um, and two other athletes who had just hurt, you know. So I was still riding, I, you know. I couldn't race, but I still had my foot in with like Catherine Curry, Mati, like all these like you know pro women and, and men at like friends of mine in the Bay Area that I trained with, and I still could ride with. Like I was hanging on <laughs> the group rides and stuff. But I had to in a way because I just had to keep the network right. and I had to keep me in that performance. And so, you know, I, I, I was working with her and um, another athlete who's one of the best, I think, made Olympic law team, um, who was just like a little junior kid, mm-hmm. you know, was one of my first clients. And then um, some of the guys on the, um, oh gosh, California men's protein, uh-huh. giant, yep. cow giant. So you know, U23, some of the best. And um, so I think like five or six, but they were all like either junior XYZ champion. Um, you know, Megan was on, uh, I think at that time, um, the, well, it's now 2020, uh-huh. one of those first yep. teams and then went on to do TIPCO, you know, uh, here in America before going on, over full-time in Europe. And uh, one of the ath- one of the guy athletes suffered from a little bit of a depression and, um, you know, I was already clinically trained, so we were kind of just, you know, working a little bit through that. And, you know, he just like wrote an email one day to me and he goes, he's like, yep. He's like, just like you always say, Dr. Kime, happy race, just go faster. And he was just kind of summarizing kind of the lens that we were working on with through his kind of depression. And I just, me, the marketing me was just like, and that was just when hashtags were being <laughs> created, right? So, yeah. And so I kind of, and I knew that was going to be a big thing, just like that, you know, and I was on the Twitter. I was already on, you know, there was no Instagram. Right. So it was just like Twitter. Instagram was just about to happen, yeah. I think. And so um, that's where it came from. And it did. He he was really able to encapsulate that for me, like just and I just, it was it. I was like, that's, that feels like me. That sounds like me. And it was kind of a joke too, you know, like just trying to make the heaviness lighter, you know, and, um, and, but in a day scientifically, if, you know, no matter how much work you do to be optimally, to, to perform optimally, whether it's at work or, or, you know, trying to win the Giro Rose or the Giro Italia and what we've learned, you know, unlike what some people have proven about racing from anger and like negative, um, you're going to consistently do better if you are in a better headspace in a story. (laughs) Well, so there's an efficacious nature to it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like happy racers go faster. There's, there's efficacy to that, but it also like encapsulates what you were actually doing. Like you were actually trying to bring out, other and at that point in time, very high level cyclists, mm-hmm. their happiness, for lack of a better exactly. word, exactly. It is no, and it is, and I think that that it's not making it like dumbifying it. Like you know, believe me, not every day is going to be happy. And you know, I've helped people you know who cried every day of a grand tour and still want it. You know, I mean, it's 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 just able to say like, all right, let's take a breath. 
And yes, there's still negative. There's still a lot of pressure, but we're going to focus right here, right now on what's in your control. You know, and so all these things are part of happy racers go faster. And if you're not enjoying it, even though it is hard, but you can be able to like, you know, I can get someone to just hit reset for a second. doesn't mean you're not emotional, but it's just bringing it back to like the meaning and purpose and humility and all these things over the last, you know, 10 plus years that I have hopefully tried to help a generation almost now of athletes and the endurance world understand that the happy racers go faster and then to be a happy whole physiology mind spirit um you've got to be you know rested and you've got to yeah. understand the the you know the efficacy that to be happy you need to rest and um have a social life and you know not be tunnel vision dog matted overtrained with no social life you know because that's not going to lead to happiness obviously 100%. and happy human happy athlete yeah so yeah <laughs> you, you you kind of brushed over this aspect that i want to dig into mm-hmm. a little bit more and and this is like this this concept of training or, or racing to like prove something or out of anger and mm-hmm. a, a, a lot of athletes out there are going to identify uh, with that psychology mm-hmm. very specifically because of the two ESPN documentaries that uh, just came out in May. One of them was with Michael Jordan, the, yep. the best, one or yes. one of the best, doesn't matter how God, you slice it, he ever. looked miserable. Yeah. Miserable, his whole career. Lindsey Vons is the same way. Yeah. If you saw her documentary. Got documentary. I just feel sorry for the whole time. I was like, should have quit a long time ago. It was miserable, right? I mean, I'm serious. And now that's happening to Michaela Sheffrin. Yeah. You know, Michael Phelps, Missy Franklin. But we're gonna. So, th- so this brings up a more important thing. So most athletes are gonna. They're they're going to be in touch with those things. There's this one documentary yeah. with Michael Jordan. There's another one with Lance Armstrong. You can totally mention Lance Armstrong. I don't have an issue with that. Okay. It's it's that's not taboo here at all. Um, but I, I could tell you what I really think if that ever comes <laughs> up as well. But um, what what I want to kind of like get from you is is you see this behavior and you see this psychology in elite athletes kind of like lauded to a certain extent, mm-hmm. meaning that it's, it's, it's put out there in the public and yeah. people view it as a reason why they were great. Mm-hmm. You then have to go back into your practice mm-hmm. with your athletes having seen these things or heard mm-hmm. of them or whatever and have to then work with them on that like how does that how does that all unfold because you just mentioned it is this unhealthy behavior that we should start to steer people away towards Mm -hmm. yet we still have all of these examples of high of um, some of the best of the best that can win Mm we will throw away their you know what they're doing personally and things like that right but they can still win races and still and and, Mm -hmm. yeah they're still winning with that type of psychology so what like what do you say to that Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it just goes down to the consistency piece. Um, you know, and even though it was out of the anger where they they weren't angry the entire time. Right. So you might get a a few good results out of yourself. And, you know, the Michael Jordan one was really fascinating because, you know, I, I do think that, I don't think he was miserable his whole entire career. I think he was, you know, um, 
a lot of it's the psychology of the other players too. I call it the Voss effect. Um, I think a lot of, you know, Marianne Voss, I'm not taking away that she was an amazing athlete, mm-hmm. but I do think, I don't think she was that much more except for that, the fact that she got really good. And then you as an athlete just think that she's going to beat you, you know? Um, so I think there was the Michael Jordan effect, the Lance effect, whatever you want to say. So there's that piece that often is not noted is how much of, you know, of greatness is also because other people let them be where they are, you know, too. And so it's more complicated than a straight up answer, but I do get sometimes, you know, should I be racing from like more hardcore, you know, and then I just look at them and I start (laughs) laughing because they're like kittens really, you know, I'm like, no, you don't need to be a lion except for, so I have one good example. I have an athlete and she's very, um, uh, been working with her for six, seven years now, but very engineer, very, you know, going to think about data, very about data, very, you know, just intellectual, not very emotional. I mean, you know, for a woman, you know, she's anti most of the things and more of on the side of what, you know, maybe we the traits of a male athlete, pro athlete. So you use lots of engineers and guys like that. Right. Um, but I finally tapped into like this part of her that's like, and so one day she's, you know, we're trying to get more excitement and fire and like this, this, I want to beat mm-hmm. people. So I've had to work a lot on that with men and women of, okay, it's cool to be a domestic. It's cool to be like in the top 15, but your coach is telling me that your numbers and everything say you should be top five. What's missing. And it's that it's, it's different to go out there and be vulnerable and be vulnerable and figure out what is your internal locus of control for driving to push yourself. Cause the minute you're thinking about the other person, they're dictating your competition. Right. right? So I think Michael Jordan and, you know, even Lance to that, they, to those two, they were just so about them. They weren't worried about beating other people. They might've said that, but really they were just, able to really harness that internal drive whether that's from you know we could always say it like you know uh floyd landis i mean tyler any of these people like not to say what they did was right by any means but also what happened in their backgrounds that led to them maybe making not the best choices right with anyone and you know athletes i mean most top athletes how i like to like say it in a kind way because i put myself there we're not (laughs) because most people would not ever want to go and put themselves in that level of pain. Right. So there's, we all kind of have some void, you know, not to get, I'm not Freudian. I'm very behavioral, cognitive behavior and all that, but you know, there is part of something we're trying to prove. And most of the time it's just, we're just trying to prove something to ourselves. It's not necessarily about the external. That's when it's healthy. It's when it's the external. And that's where that, like, I'm angry and I'm going to like, you know, whatever. If you're able to internalize it, maybe you get a, good, a few good races out of it. But at the end of the day, it's more of an external control that eventually is going to, you know, bite you in the ass kind of as well. Look at it. So for me, it's just figuring out who that human is and what their drive is. And even though they may not be, you know, the, you know, a very emotional person going back to this one example, you know, one day she was just like, I, I just I just want to kill bitches. 
you know, or something like that. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's like, who is this person? Like, I even felt like I could cuss now with this person, right? Like, and so on the back of the number, we put like KB, you know, just some like that, that, that reminded themselves that like, I am here to go and bury myself and that this should hurt worse than, you know, my yeah. training. You know what I'm saying? So figure it, finding that fight in themselves, but it doesn't have to be this, like, like this, I hate yeah. people and I want to fucking like prove something to someone else because you will, I, I mean, I'll just say it, like I wouldn't be a good f- fit for an athlete like that, but I can promise you, even though they might be winning, they're not happy. Sure. There's a difference. But what, what I was, what I was kind of teasing out of a little bit of that dialogue is mm-hmm. that happiness and like an internal sense of competitive competitiveness mm-hmm. or a desire to succeed those two things can coexist. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. Right. Like you can be happy with the things that you're doing if you're if you're reflective upon them from an internal perspective, if they have exactly. meaning to you. Yep. Cool. Yeah. I'm glad I kind of un- understood that correctly. Yeah, totally. It's all about the internals. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of, I mean, that's going back to you know, the sport evidence-based research in sports psychology that, you know, that internal drive and that internal like meaning and purpose um, is all, you know, is always going to, cause I do get that question. Like, do I need to be more, you know, whatever. And I do again, I just laugh. I was like, the minute you say that you need to be something is probably what you yeah. don't need to be. 100%. You just need to be you yeah. and we'll find it and we'll figure out, you know, you know, for one example, a good example is, is Kate Courtney, like her big thing is sparkle and joy and happy that doesn't mean she's not out there to kill and to dominate because you don't win world championships you know but like but again if people go back and watch her world championship she wasn't worried about annika she had her head down she was just going yeah she was like i'm in pain and i'm keeping on this tempo and and she had raced the race right for her instead of like attacking on those heels and stuff she would get dropped but she was keeping you know, her level, what she knew, numbers she knew mm-hmm. she could do. And it just goes back to what she knew she could do. And did she know that she could win worlds? It wasn't that she didn't think she was, but she didn't have the pressure to think she had to. Yeah. You know, which is a lot different too. Yeah. And once again, the common theme is, is like the internal focus. Like she 100%. knew what she could do. She knew, you know, her strengths and weaknesses and things like that. And yeah, yep. she's trying to like maximize that as much as possible. And at the end of the day, she won. Right. And, 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 and for, yeah. for the listeners out there, some of our listeners are, are going to be more runners. Just, well, <laughs> they're going to be like highly engrossed in ultra running and only ultra running. We're talking about the raining. Well, but it's good to for every sport to look. So I have like my downhillers is a great example there. I mean, I have a downhiller who wants to, when, you know, when COVID's over next time, he wants to spend a whole winter with this, uh, us ski team. Oh gosh. Downhill ski team. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like all my athletes, I get them to look at other sports, MMA or whatever. So runners, you're going to learn, you're going to hear a little bit more cycling. Today. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want, I wanted to set the reference of who the athlete was that we were talking about is the raining mountain bike. Look them up. Uh, yeah. No, she's mountain. not raining. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mountain bike world yeah. champion, Kate Courtney. Yes. Okay. Uh, 2019. Who, no, yeah. 2018. Yeah. Who, in my professional opinion, can save cycling. 
because cycling needs saving, but that's oh, another she's conversation. Yeah, I know. I know. Anyway, we'll 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 leave that for another, that's another discussion. That's yeah, <laughs> definitely another time. Um, you, you and I have this really common p- piece of framework, and the listeners to this podcast and our coaches. Now that I'm thinking about this a little bit more, our coaches will will completely profess to this: is that we go through great lengths to make sure that we have a common language. And so when mm-hmm. in, in the coach in our coaching world, when I say tempo run, our coaches yeah. know exactly what intensity exactly. it's at, exactly what the framework of the interval I should be. I probably know what it is. <laughs> ex- ex- well, exa- ex- exactly. But you do the same thing with your athletes. Like you, you yes. make sure that you and the athlete are on the same page from a vocabulary perspective. And there's kind of a couple examples that I want to go through that I think are really intriguing. The first one of which is goals versus objectives. Mm -hmm. And then the Mm -hmm. second one that that I've heard you talk about a lot is balance versus energy management. So why don't you... Yeah, time management, energy management versus time management, which is the same thing as balance. Totally. So why don't you like take us through that and why that's so, why that, why that commonality is, is so important to have. Well, I mean, actually, I was, I had, when I was working on my master's and I was one summer, it was like literally the worst summer of my life up until now. <laughs> um, and I, and I say that like that was what my therapist at the time, cause you know, you, it's funny. People are like, I, I just talk about my therapist and I, I tell people, I'm like, yeah, I don't think I'd want to go to a therapist who had never been to a therapist, hmm. you know, to kind of understand mm-hmm. like what's it like on the other side. But, um, they make us in our, doctorate sure. programs go to therapy and um she you know i was remember i was talking about um i was doing this paper on cold setting like at, like a intense re- literature review like mini like thesis um and uh it was the best thing ever because it, in it i found all these different ways that other sports psychologists had gotten away from the world word goal and um and it, yeah, and I just felt like it was getting trivialized. And so one day when I was writing it, um, I just thought about it like from the lens of kind of how I, from my dance education. And I remember just, you know, I mean, I was a, you know, high level competitive athlete, like tennis and soccer. And I, I was thinking about how can I, what's a common theme against some of these things? Because in dance, you don't really have goals. Right. I mean, you don't have, it's not like a sport like that, but we definitely had like, daily objectives of like what am i working on today that's going to make me a better dancer okay i'm working on my turnout today or and so i just it was just kind of came up like out of just you know magically appear where i was just like i think that i like that word objective so i just started using it in that you know kind of report in my literature review report as of other ways and so um you know blueprints been one that's been used um uh, blueprint, pl- pr- blueprint, and objectives were the two. Um, there's some other ones that I think still just you know kind of at the end of the day, goal sounds better. And I don't not not say goal because sometimes the language is just easier to say you know goal. But most of my athletes who've been work with me, they get indoctrined and they they even say it. So we just don't ever really say in the kind uh, household <laughs> of sports psychology uh, goals. But like it's not that they're they're different. I think it's an objective sometimes I feel like the, it got so trivialized with the goal setting that I think it took away the importance. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Because of the word, because it's just everywhere. And in, you know, just like, you know, uh, the, the fads of language. Um, and so I think sometimes our receptors and our brains just need something 
you know, how I like to say, kind of sexy, mm-hmm. just something different. And so that's been my job is to kind of just create my own language um, with these performance things, whether it's objective. So mo- most of the time what I'll have athletes do is like, create like in the middle it's like a well it's you know it's a vision board is what it's called and um you know kate courtney's like her some of hers are like incredible and some of my i mean i have one athlete she like is an amazing uh draw like artist and so she just draws like these mountains and then interweaves hers and some do it like a collage so i tell them there's Mm -hmm. no you can't fail at your vision board um but you know it is a fun way for even if you're a 30 year old to do something handsy crafty and think about it but at the end of the day it's just creating kind of um, realistic and timely, you know, all the kind of the basics of goals, right. Um, in a, in a, in a, something that you can see visually versus just in your head. Um, and some don't like to do that, but I still make them journal and like do the, you know, objectives. What are your, what do you, what is your coach wanting you to do? What do you want to do? And if they don't do it, then they don't do it. But the ones that do it, who listen to me and do what I say, they get better a little faster. <laughs> well, because it's clear what they're, it's clear what the purpose is. Yes, thank you. And then when the more <laughs> you can say that buying, a little louder if you want to agree. Yeah, with me. <laughs> your purpose. Why the fuck are you out there running at hundred degrees doing tempo or whatever? Right, like, um, and then some days you just need to go out there and do the trainings. Like I get that. Like, just get done, and it doesn't. You know, it's not gonna be all pretty, but something's going on in your life then you probably shouldn't be training if that's becomes more the norm. You're just doing the training. It's, you're not intrinsically going to have that. It, your muscles, your body doesn't sense that. And it's junk miles. Mm-hmm. If your brain is not connected to your legs or your heart or your soul, and I hate to get woo-woo, but that's, that's the reality of what this is, really, goals, is you are taking this on versus, you know, someone telling you to do it. Yeah, you might get good, but... And you might even do be the best in the world, but who who cares if you weren't happy? Yeah, you know? you started you started to get into some of like the the like the process that you use when you're working with athletes, and there there are going to be a lot of people that are listening to this that are lead athletes, but more commonly they're just going to be you mm-hmm. know what we commonly call age group athletes or yeah. everyday athletes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the the process can be remarkably similar whether it's physical training, which is kind of more my world or mental training, which is predominantly your world. And I think one of like the common themes with it is, is you have to like meet people where they're at. Mm -hmm. Like we would never have an athlete that, you know, has that runs 40 minutes for a 10 K all of a sudden have them do five minute per mile repeats out on the track because they're not at that level of fitness. And same thing in your world, like you're developing tools and skills and, 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 and awareness in a certain framework so that they can essentially catch on. So how, how do they, like, how does that start? Like, how does an athlete Mm -hmm. who's out there says, okay, I want to work on my mental game. Like Mm -hmm. what, what are the, the like fundamental building blocks that they can work on just to start out with if they have no exposure to this in the first place? Um, well, I mean, if they're working with a coach, um, you know, first off, you know, I think a coach sometimes, like my job with t- some of my top athletes becomes more of like the account manager, you know, so um, I like that. it is, it is, which, uh, you know, um, I, uh, 
you can only have so many top level athletes when you're the account manager, you know, um, but even for them, some of them came to me with no dialogue, but they didn't really know what they wanted. Like most don't, a lot of people don't either they're injured and they, you know, are in crisis or they're, they're, you know, undiagnosed OTA, overtraining syndrome, whatever you want to call it, burnout, same thing to me. Um, under, you know, they're underperforming. I mean, there's these things why, but a lot of people don't have the language. And, and, you know, for me, it's, I think the first thing would be go, you know, go like listen to some, a sports psychologist on a podcast, Mm -hmm. um, go and check out a sports psychologist website, read some of their articles. Um, you know, I have a list of books that I always recommend that aren't really like, this is sports psychology, right. But they are where the 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 athletes are going to be introduced of like what human behavior and how that that impacts us um and sometimes you know you can just you know email an a, a sports psychologist set up an intake call and also just see what it's yeah. about and i think that's kind of you know the first step is that we're not scary and it's i'm not going to be a good fit for everyone and i am old enough and mature enough to typically know that do, do- and if I look an athlete up, you know, I'm either going to be like, whoa, that's just, I, I, I don't know that sport. I don't have time to learn that sport, you know, um, but I can direct them towards maybe a sports psychologist that that's their niche. Though I, I, I'm kind of against that too. Um, just like, yes, I'm a, you know, sports psychologist in the framework that people think I'm a cyclist, but like most people don't realize I was a high level dancer, but I've also played tennis and soccer and, you know, all these other sports. Um, and I'm interested in other sports besides just, you know, the endurance athletes, but that I am an ex, I hate that word expert, but that's more my expertise yeah. is endurance athletes. And I think it's just that and um, bringing up with your coach and have a dialogue. So what's, you know, it's not the coach is not doing something wrong. It's just sort of like, Hey, like how can I, you know, up my mental game or, you know, I'm, I'm having some anxiety coach. And then it's just like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, Let's talk about it, having a dialogue and then the coach and the athlete realizing like, okay, what are some resources before, you know, you go to a sports psychologist. And I think it is, I think it's just like seeing if there's some books on it. Um, you know, just, it's not scary. So, you know, there's no perfect way. Um, but I think the best way is just, you know, um, you know, go to the applied sports psychology association of applied sports psychology, ask their, um, they actually have a little area where you can, type in, you know, where you live. Now, this is what gets complicated, though, with my high-level athletes. Like, who the heck is going to – Newbury, South Carolina is not going to have some sports psychologist for me <laughs> to see, right? Um, so I'm kind of – you know, but if you're on a break or you, you're a runner who does spend a significant time in one location, like, you know, in California, or, you know, you might be able to find a sports psychologist who's in Denver or something that you could go to physically. But honestly – the tallow with sports psychology is there's no difference. Like it's not going to be better in person than it is going to be someone you talk over the phone or through Skype. DP- it's about the rapport. It's about that human athlete and, and, and me or what, whoever, um, that's what it's going to be a bore. It's more about that relationship. And it's the same for coaching. We, I was about to say the exact same thing. We, we have, really uh, is. we have somebody, uh, in our, in our coaching group, his name's Dominic, who he's gonna, I've already recorded a podcast with him. that's going to come out mm-hmm. in a few weeks. 
And I go through that whole thing with them. Like, how do we match up coaches with athletes? And it's mm-hmm. all rapport-based. It's not, it is. oh, I have it an is. athlete that's training for the Western States 100. This other coach has done the Western States 100. Yeah, those those like technical matches are niceties. They're but nice. The, yeah. But, but the necessity is the rapport yes. piece. Yes. 100%. And the beauty of social media and and the and being authentic on it like you are like i love how you're just you so athletes are going to either like you or not so that so then it's already a good fit right cuz if they're not like jiving with what you're doing then then you're saving everyone time and energy right so that's why i'm just me i'm like either you like this or not and you know and most most often i get athletes you know, it's a snowball effect. So now, you know, coaches, you know, have good coaches who always kind of refer to me. Right. But even then that doesn't mean it's going to be a good fit. It typically is because usually I'm in unity with the coach. See what I'm saying? So you just kind of that synergy. Um, I call it the village. That's another one of my thing that I started is, you know, it takes a village Mm -hmm. to raise an athlete. Um, and I think that really has just started to evolve the last like five years where athletes realize, you know, to be the best, it's not just having a good coach. You got to have the, a great nutritionist, a sports psych, a physio, a personal trainer, you know, all that. Um, and I think teams should pay for that. That's a whole nother thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I try to do a lot on this podcast because I, I, I realize like my own limitations as a coach are confined mm-hmm. to, you know, practically what the information that I can absorb. And I mm-hmm. can't be an expert oh, you, in but you all just can't areas. Be that person will burn you out. No, right? like uh-uh. I mean, I think a lot of coaches blur boundaries, not meaning to do it in a mean way, but but that does it that hinders that relationship of coach and athlete, um, because you know the coach becomes the everything. Mm-hmm. Talking about you know the divorce they're going through or whatever. It's not that you don't talk about it, but like. You can't be their therapist about it, you know. Co- coaches have always the analogy that I've always used is coaches are the very proverbially the jack of all trades and masters of none, and we have mm-hmm. to be because we have to use mm-hmm. psychology and physiology yes, and tactics and even equipment. You know, like even we have oh, to yeah, have. But expert- I do all that too. Yeah, it's tough. You know how many times I have to tell I ask athletes, "When's the last time you got a fit, good bike fit?" <laughs> And, and it like was a game changer or nutrition is the biggest one. Yeah. Like I have this one athlete and he's, I, I, yeah, I, I can't, he, he hasn't really talked about working with me, but he drives me crazy because like he is the quintessential like poster child. And I've had a few athletes where I've gotten them to work with nutritionists. And I'm not going to say they quit me because of that, but they got so much better because they finally were focusing on their nutrition. They're like, well, I don't need sports psych now. Uh. <laughs> Actually, you do, but if you don't want to work with me, then it's probably not a good fit. You see what I'm saying? So it's like, all right. But I got them that nutritionist, yeah. right? So because I knew it was clear and day, I was yeah. like, um, I don't think you're eating enough during a racing. And bo- I mean, I just don't think you're, yeah. And I, I can't, I'm not your nutritionist. I can't tell you what macro might, you know, and the minute they get someone that they buy into because they've worked with so many athletes and then their performance gets better. And I'm like, well, yeah, because you like, you do need to eat during a race. Hello. <laughs> yeah. I've always found that the practitioners that have a specialty, so in your area, right, be psychology. Yeah. But it can also kind of like bleed out of their specialty uh, to a certain extent. Those are always the ones that end up doing the best job because they're not so focused like in this specific silo. Like the, right. the ones that drive me crazy are 
the really narrowly specific sports scientists that yep. if you get them, they're brilliant within yes, their little area of mechanics or nutrition. Area, and it's very micro. Yeah, yep. ex- exactly. So I typically don't I refer so. athletes to that one person. I bring, I, like, yeah. I, I'm the I'm the filter. Yes, <laughs> yes, definitely. Let's not, let's not go that, down that rabbit hole too much, though. You mentioned this really cool thing. Like, it takes a village. Mm-hmm. And... We're, I agree with you. We are starting to see this a lot more in elite sport and almost to the point where you can probably find a few cases where the village is too big. Too big. Too many cooks in the kitchen. So, yes, and I've actually had that help athletes shave some people all out and off, and it's hard, but definitely. Oh, yeah. So what totally. does Kristen's yeah. like, ideal village look like? Um. I think it takes time. I think, you know, at some point I'm going to be more heavily involved with an athlete and the other times the athlete is really going to just lean on their coach and may not need me as much because they're, they're just in a good place, you know, and it's good to talk about what's going right. Right. Um, but yeah, my job is to, um, not like, I'm not here to keep you having to keep coming to me. I want you to have a, your little wings and jump off and fly, <laughs> but know that I'm always there. Cause I have athletes that I've worked with and I may not see them for five years. And all of a sudden they emailing, they're like, can I work with you again? And I'm like, um, uh, yeah. Like I didn't say like, Oh, she doesn't work with me or he doesn't work with me anymore. I'm like, hell yeah, dude. And we'll jump right back in. <laughs> right. And they're uncomfortable. And I'm like, no, like I don't take it personal. Um, you know, and that's just a, that's just a, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm a blessed with that lens that, you know, um, I've really always understood not to take things personal, that it's more about the other person than me. And that's just trainings of a psychology and being a psychologist and going to therapy. Right. So, um, it might, I might be disappointed or a little bit hurt, but I know it's has nothing to do with like the quality of my work. Um, you know, and so the village is going to start with, you know, the ground, the, the, the first thing is a good coach. I mean, I, I, you know, no offense, and a coach might send an athlete to me, and then I, through a few sessions, and sometimes even the first session, I can be like, oh, this is a bad match, or this is toxic. Between you like, and the athlete, the or the coach and the athlete? Oh, the coach and the oh, athlete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, not, not good. Yeah. Like, this is the problem. Yeah. Like, the coach is sending the problem, sending the athlete to me when really they're the yeah, problem. Yeah. The relationship's the problem. So, um, so I, I get them to work on getting them to leave and find a new coach. So that's it. It's like the, the basics is going to be fundamentally, you have to have a good c- coach, yeah. a one that you believe in one that's like, just, you know, you, yeah, that you believe in that you feel like you're getting good workout. You understand that the coach has a vision for you, that the coach also has things that they feel like you, like you should in a way, I hate the shoulds and the woods and the coulds, but they have at least a vision. You know, you, they're, you're, they're not just plopping you into this cookie cutter program where you're trying to win Kona, but yet you find out that you're doing the same training as their weekend racers, yeah. you know, which I literally just, yeah, have had a lot of that kind of stuff happening. It's weird um, that you see that yeah. so much though. Like, oh, I that's do so much. Always propo- it's like, dry, I, yeah, it's really sad. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, I, it's I've really seen it, toxic. It's really bad. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it over the course of my coaching career too, mm-hmm. and I've always had this idealistic notion that eventually that's just going to get weeded out. Mm-mm. But apparently, it hasn't. And I don't People know why. People get lazy. 
and people and people are getting it for money and yeah. you know maybe they you know they had three kids now i mean I, you know i'm not saying they're but me bad people but um they're definitely not a good fit for my athletes and mm. that's all i'm here to protect <laughs> okay so so this village concept like you're uh-huh. the centerpiece is the athlete obviously the athletes in the middle and then what i like to have them do is look at the coaching relationship the coach Kind of like the training. So, you know, the training physically and the goals and objectives for the physical part, like this winter we're going to work on increasing your whatever. Or like for, you know, a good example for Kate, it's not like any coach or athlete listening to this. I don't think this is like opening up, you know, Pandora's box, but like she's still very young mm-hmm. and is competing against athletes who've been mm-hmm. racing for like 15 years. So there's mm-hmm. still some things fundamentally for her to still be good in five or 10 years, right? That she has to work on. So that's why I hate when athletes compare because, you know, an athlete who might be in their thirties, late thirties or mid thirties is not going to be the same doing the same trainings that someone in their early twenties is doing, you Mm -hmm. know? So, um, so yeah, so it's really important that you, you know, kind of just get a coach that you believe in and you just kind of focus on, the physical aspect and then, you know, then it's nutrition. So, you know, so then, you know, are you working on your nutrition in a good way? Not like, you know, I do get eating disorders and stuff like that. And if anyone has a significant eating disorder, then they shouldn't be competing. They shouldn't be training. Like they just need to be working on that. And that's not my expertise. People who have a previous history of having an eating disorder, it never goes away. So that's something to teach right. someone right there. I've actually had athletes go on and be like, well, you know, when I when I got over my eating disorder, like it just went I'm away cured. magically. I'm and cured. I'm like, well, I'm cured. Yeah. No, no, you're not. And yeah. you need to fire and probably go to a different therapist if they said that you were, you know, cured. Um, because it's going to come up in other ways and other obsessive ways and typically unhealthy obsessive ways, whether it's, you know, relationships, sex, mm-hmm. drugs, alcohol, um, spending, Exercise, yeah, which that's a whole mm-hmm. other one. Exercise addiction, which is I think should be in the DSM of psychology. It's not, but it should be. Um, and I've written papers, so people go on my website. I've written some papers for cycling tips on it and everything. Um, but you know, so the nutrition. So these are actually areas they write like on their vision board, like two or three objectives. That's mm-hmm. it. Like. What is something in the vision there? What is that? Their family. So like, mm. what does their social network look like? You know? So, you know, and again, I'm not even been brought up yet. <laughs> right. So there's that physical piece. I, you know, one day I want the sports site to be with the physical piece. We're just not there yet. So I'm a realist. Right. So then we work on our social. So we're working on our bio psycho social, but in sport, it's kind of bio social psych piece yeah. in a way. Would you, I mean, I, that's just kind of what I've learned to not, not push and force against. Um, because the more that I get them feeling confident in their coaching and their nutrition and their social network, that's an, that's like a beautiful platform yep. for me to be able to teach things that are going to be obtained. Because when someone's in a crisis and, and it's just like, you know, per, you know, having panic attacks or a deep depression, it's, it's, you know, that's just way much harder for me to work because we have to kind of take those other things out, yep. those variables out. Yeah. And that's typically the framework that we've worked with as well, where the, like the, the coach is kind of the linchpin in this whole village, village analogy with the, mm-hmm. obviously the athletes at the center of it. Right. But in terms of the village, it's getting built around the athlete. And that's just, it's more, 
I, 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 somebody's going to listen to this podcast and say, ah, you're totally biased on that because you are a coach. So of course you think that, you know, that's the most important person. But the, but the reality... That, that doesn't mean that's the person that actually is... Do you see, like the coach, like you got, you are, you gods is how I look at it. You coaches do not understand how much power y'all really have. Like, so like it's way cr- more power yeah. than I will yeah. ever have. Yeah. Cause like I will tell an athlete something literally a thousand times. And the minute the coach mentions it once the athlete comes back and says, so-and-so said, and, and you know what I say? <laughs> I'm like, I don't care if it was like the clown at the grocery store, as long as it's in your head now, Bravo. Yeah. Because I don't I don't have yeah, any yeah. ego around that. Yeah. Right. But they are y'all are gods. And to a, a default. Lot, a, a lot of that <laughs> a, a lot of that and tr- I mean, trust me, I, re- I realize that and you mm-hmm. know, in my experience working and, with And athletes. just realizing it and sitting with that, but also like you said, like the coach then needs to make sure that that everyone is on the same blueprint. Yep. So like the athlete is the center, but the coach now wants to make sure, like, all right. I'm going to make sure that I have a talk once a month with Kristen, yep. you know, um, or, you know, I, I got the nutrition plan and handwriting or whatever from, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. You're, um, um, the athlete, I think, I feel like the athlete should promote that and kind of, I help the athlete be the driver's seat is what I'm trying to eventually mm-hmm. get through, but we have to work on it. And so, you know, a really confident just like really efficacious and autonomous athlete is going to be able to say, I need a rest day on that day and not feel uncomfortable and be like, you know, you now have to work around that. I, I, I just don't feel, I'm not feeling it yeah. for whatever reason. Right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so uh, it takes, it takes time. And then the other parts of the village are going to be the finances, you know, that is part of it. Right. Um, so the village is not just like these humans, the village is everything that is important and that like keeps this will. So you kind of look at the athlete mm-hmm. as the hub, right? Then you got the spokes to each thing. Visually, that's what I want my athletes mm-hmm. to do. I used to make them kind of create that. And then I just said, you know, do whatever you want to. So, and then, you know, and then having like the inspiration piece. So then, you know, having a good Cairo when you come home, right? Having a good acupuncturist when you come home, um, getting your PT and all these people to give you what to do when you're on the road. Um, you know, it's funny. I think Me- Megan, when mommy shared this example, when she was on Rabobank and Bowles Dolman, highly Dutch mm-hmm. teams, yeah. um, she had had some hip issues. I mean, she's just a, you know, was a sprinter who became a climber and, she, you know, to do that, you've asked a lot of your body and, you know, she was kind of, to, you know, treat, toning her body to be something to match and be able to race, you know, with maybe a Mara Abbott or something, but she's not, maybe not built like that and genetically going to have that. So her body, you know, your body just takes a toll, you know, yeah. and 10 years of racing at the top level like she did, she was, you know, tape from head to toe. And, but that was kind of her thing to get all the tape on versus is it really helping? Right. <laughs> and, and like literally in the middle of Joe Rosa, right? Like she's like in the pink jersey, she would do 30 minutes of yoga, you know, before the stage still. But it was like, if she didn't do that, it was like, that's just what she did mentally and physically to be like, I'm ready. Right. But she got her village to kind of like create and help these things. And then if she didn't feel like, you know, if her knee was hurting something, she could just do a quick Skype with her physio from, you know, wherever they were in Italy. Right. 
So at the high end, it gets a little bit, your village gets a little bigger, but then the problem is you get on these teams and then they want you to have this trainer and that person. And so that's when things get a little chaotic and we have to like talk to team managers and just, you know, try to say like, yo, like this athlete just needs these people and this extra is actually making it more challenging. Okay, let's talk about that because uh, there's going once again there's going to be athletes that are listening to this podcast. Is like, okay, I've got a coach. You know, I'm going to go find a nutritionist to work yeah. with. I'm going to, you know, fa- my family's going to be part of my village. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have my training partners, the social network yep. that's going to be part of my village. I'm going to look at other athletes and other people to find inspiration. Totally. They're going to be yes. part of my role village. models. It, yeah, role models, absolutely. And there does become a point to where this village gets too big big and components of it are counterproductive to the objectives of your vocabulary, the objectives. And I have seen this play out Mm -hmm. both in elite sport and with weekend warriors where there are too many people giving them influence from too too many directions. Oh, really? So why is that? Or in your experience? Oh, yeah. Like, you know, when you're, you could be, I mean, you know, my top athletes get that. They'll be riding their bike, you know, in, in uh, you know, the Bay Area. And, you know, someone will say something about like, oh, you know, like you you need to keep it in this gear or I don't know, just something. And then they're in the middle of a training. Like that's their job. Yeah, yeah. You know, and um, as a female, it was just like, I think now more women have coaches. It's a little bit more normalized. But when I was racing, you know, it was really big deal if you were a female that had a coach, but the, everyone wanted to coach you. You know, everyone had their two cents. Oh, right, um, right. And, I, and, I, and, and a lot of women still, I mean, still really get that a lot, like feedback. I mean, you know, I had an athlete one time, they were in like, I think even it might have been Kate, like in a championship jersey and the person didn't really think that they were the champion. Oh, God. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, where did you get that jersey? Yeah. Did, did you buy it at the store? Yeah. yeah. Did you buy it at the store? I don't think men, do, do, you know, I don't think, you know, most men have never had that experience with, where it's like, did you just buy that? With, in, those situa- <laughs> in, those, in those situations, Kristen, do you think that that's coming from the other person going, ah, oh, this person doesn't know what the fuck they're doing versus I really want to help them? I think it's more of a place of just, um, not not thinking, just thinking like, you know, I mean, literally just being impulsive with let me just sit with the situation. And maybe it was out of something positive, but I think, you know, I would invite men or women to just, you know, keep to yourselves. And, you know, like if someone reaches out from wanting a coach, you know, let someone reach out and ask versus um, providing without someone really showing interest in it and you know i don't need a sense assistance you don't need to touch my lower back or touch me how many times in group rides no i've seen i didn't ask to be touched i've seen that i've seen that play out in the cycling world a lot you don't see that as much with the men you see that way more with women like i'd much rather get dropped than your than your hand on my um (laughs) booty (laughs) (laughs) let's let's so there's gender issues to that so that's a whole nother layer but you know just to simplify it a little bit i think um you know, you've got to figure out your, you know, it's your recipe. Yeah. And so, you know, you've got to take ownership, whether you're a top level athlete listening in this, who might feel like they've got too many cooks in the kitchen. And at the end of the day, it just goes back down to you, your coach and your sports psychologist, usually the people that really 
know you and are there for you and and your significant other so like you know like megan when we went at rio she took she actually brought over her physio mm -hmm. even though she was with like usac right. she, you know it was still like he was part of her village he got her through a lot um her husband obviously her family her coach Corey hart and myself I think the takeaway message for the athletes is, is when you're building out this village, be deliberate with it and bigger isn't always better. Yes. Yes. Well, and you know, you, helping at like, again, helping athletes have those hard conversations. I mean, you yep. know, I've had athletes stay with ath coaches for a long time. It didn't mean they didn't think about changing over to what was, you know, the hot, hot coach at the time. Right. Or questioning, but any good relationship that's, you're going to have like any relationship, your yep. challenge areas. You got to work <laughs> and you, you got to work at it. Communication. <laughs> yep. Let's, um, let, let's kind of make a hard pivot to mm -hmm. ultra running. Um, yeah. I've always thought that ultra running is like this beautiful, uh, case scenario for mm. sports psychologists because mm -hmm. it's this, it's this sport that it's incredibly physically difficult yes. when you're in the races, very long durations, mm -hmm. low intensities, mm -hmm. and at the same and at the same time, it's not very high on the technicality scale. It's not like a mountain bike race where you've got to be like laser like focused on this, you know, descent right. or you're going ass over tea kettle. Yeah. Not not typically the most case in races. most right. most races. Some are, yeah. So, some are very, yeah. Yeah, but but my point with that is is. There are these in ultra running. There are these huge spaces of time for an athlete to think. Yes. And because of that, one of the things that I've like consistently noticed for going uh, in going out to races, and particularly at the hundred mile distance, is this concept of the mental DNF, where mm. I can sit in an aid station late into the race, 70, 80 miles into the race. And I'll stay there from the time the leaders come through to the time that the last people come through and they shut the aid station down. And the runners that drop out are physically indistinguishable from the runners that continue on. Mm -hmm. I can't, like their gates are the same, you know, they don't look, mm -hmm. you know, any, mm -hmm. they don't physically look like they're under any more or less duress than one another. Mm -hmm. But yet something is going on where, they're like, I can't, I can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the only thing that I can chalk that up to is this long time and space that they have to yep. think about what's going on. So enter your Instead world. Instead of already going in and having, you know, a script, like a movie, you know, like a performance. You already kind of know what you're going to be facing and, and what to have in your mental script of what you're going to do over to whatever hour, you know, PR time or whatever you're trying to do. So is that, so in the, in the sport of ultra running, you've got a lot of like tools in your toolkit that you can use this in mental script being one of them. Do yeah. you think that Medi that's something mindfulness meditation, all that huge for these sports? Okay. So how, so for the, for the runners that are out there that, you know, there's no races going on. So it's weird to talk about this. So maybe yeah, in 2021, when somebody revisits this, this podcast, yes. like they're in this they're they know that they're going to enter this hundred mile, hundred K really long race. And they're going to, yep. they know that they're going to encounter some 
some, some aspect of the race that's going to require a certain amount of mental fortitude to get out of the aid station. Which they can work on now because if they live in a safe space where they can get out and run, not everyone can do this, but you can still practice these things before an actual race. If okay. you're able, maybe you're not doing the distance of a, you know, the, the full distance, but these are still things that you still can utilize in longer distances that you might be training. So let's pick a couple of those out that might be easy for the listeners to uh, to kind of grasp hold of. We've already gone through, you know, step one. If you if you think you want to up your game in this, is let's just go get educated. Pick, yes. you know, lowest common denominator. Listen to a podcast, go read an yep. article, and things like that. Yep. But then step number two is kind of like putting these things in practice. What are yep. the things that the athletes can like put in practice on a day to day basis to like alleviate this really specific situation that I came up? But it can apply to anything, obviously. Totally, and I think it is a self fulfilling prophecy. A lot of those co- <laughs> those people probably have visualize too much like what would go wrong uh-huh. um without saying okay these things could go wrong and this is what i'm going to do and the first is that internal drive that unless you know you're bleeding out of your you know your you, i mean literally you hurt yourself like mm-hmm. or you are because this is where i have an issue with some of my athletes where the heat exhaustion they they're they, they literally could kill themselves like right. it's, it's right, just a right, race right. Okay, I'm sorry. So I have the opposite where people keep going when they shouldn't. So I think it's just learning and having like kind of a ethos of an agreement, you know, that you make with yourself and your coach and, you know, me that like, no matter what, I'm never going to quit. There's a difference between quitting and giving up. So quitting, it's okay to quit. That means you're injured. You're Mm -hmm. dehydrated. You didn't eat enough. Um, You just, you know, someone just gave you a message that, you know, someone's sick in your family or, you know, whatever. Um, Or you just knew that you weren't ready at the start line and you decided to start. But you knew, like, you know, that you hadn't slept in two weeks, that you, you know, had been sick and you just came off mono. I mean, just all these stupid reasons, like, you shouldn't even be at the start line. And if you're at the start line already thinking about what could go wrong, then you should just go and pack your bags because it's not going to end pretty. So that's kind of that self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, but if you're, you know, at the start line and you have your good village around you and you have your village of support and you have your objectives for your race and um, then you hit a hot spot of just like, you know, I'm really in pain. Like this is really hurting. But if I, you know, go, I know I know how to deal with cramps. I'm going to go, I'm going to eat some bananas. I'm going to take a breather and then I'm just going to go slowly. I'm not going to just go right back into that tempo and I'm just going to keep going and I'll give myself another you know, 20 minutes, you know, um, but we, we go over that. We go over the kind of what could go wrong and then you uh, role play it to yourself. Um, that's kind of the next step. Then you can add in like meditation and mindfulness and these more constructs that for me, unless you just really become a meditate, just because you meditate and you practice mindfulness doesn't mean you're going to uh, like obviously be able to get out of these kind of situations, yep. right? Um, you have to be able to know that like that the situations happen because you're human, yep. right? Even if you do everything perfect, you could just malfunction yep. in the middle of a race. I've had, I've all had that happen. Um, you know, mechanical malfunction is what could happen with the ultra runner because on any given day, you could be really good or really great, really good or really bad. Yep. And you just don't ever yep. know really, you know, cause we're all human. So I think it's just, that also being understanding that you're human, that like shit happens, that your ego is not attached 
your self-worth's not yep. attached to the outcome. Yep. So as long as you, you know, some athletes, their best races are races like that where they fought and kept climbing even though they, they felt like they were they got dropped, but then everyone else crashes themselves out. You know what I'm saying? And they have winning. Mm-hmm. But if they had mm-hmm. given up in that moment, right? And Kate's a good example. Like, she was not, like, looking to be winning, right? But she just head down, kept doing yep. her thing. Wasn't worried about what anyone else was doing. And then she was able to ride yep. away and, you know, get the win. Um, but that's working yep. on that. Like, knowing, committing, like, no matter what, even if I know I can win, as long as I know I'm right now giving my best, I'll be disappointed with second, but like, fuck yeah, I got second, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So, um, so those things are kind of easier things I think to do is just to kind of have that ethos of like, no matter what, I'm not going to give up. Um, but I, it's okay to quit and give myself permission to quit. If there's some internal and external thing that is overplaying my willpower. And that's what's different. Your willpower is that ability to suffer through the pain that you should have already been training. So, you know, your training at some point should almost be harder than what you're ever going to race if you have a good coach and and, and if you're at that level to be able to train at that modality. Does that make sense? 100%. Yeah. I want to go back to like two really specific elements that you you brought up and and dive into those a little bit more. The the first one of which I I use the same exercise with my athletes is what are you going to do? It's this Mm -hmm. role playing Mm -hmm. in advance Mm -hmm. of the event to to kind of flush out some of the situations that suck. Yeah. But now you kind of know what it's like, what what to expect and what to do if yeah. it happens. But in ultra running, the situations are, okay, you get lost, right? Yes. You come into an aid station and you've bonked and you're cramping yep. and there's five other, you know, things going on all at the same time. Like, yep. what are you going to do? And I actually started, I'm just now remembering this. I started doing this with um, uh, some of my athletes after discussing the same thing with uh, uh, with a with a MMA coach, and, oh yeah, 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 and he would have his fighters do that. He'd be yep. like, "Okay, you're in so and so's guillotine. What yep. are you gonna do?" Like just yep. when they're like sitting around like talking about it, and based the way off that of he what w- that at the other person is doing too, which is free. I, I work with an MMA fighter as yeah. well, so it's fascinating how it's different and but my, how you can pull from that. Yeah, but my I'm, I guess I guess my point with that is is this coach was describing the same exercise to me. Yeah. Okay, what are you going to do? You're caught in so and so's guillotine. Yeah. We're sitting here chair to chair. Out? Like, how yeah. do you actually get out? And he said the fighter would like he describe all these things that are going on. First, I'm going to do this. Then I'm going to do this. And then the coach would cue him. Okay, I'm going to be calm. I'm going to yes. remain. I'm going to you know keep Even breathing. Even though you're in I I can, this high anxiety kind of situation, you're going to relax into it. And 100%. get into the be able to pull out that you're connected and in, and present. Yeah, because you're not going to get out if you're thinking about what we do next. You got to be fully invested in what to do right the second. Right, and so the 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 scene the scene that I was trying to paint here is is mm-hmm. this coach is describing this exercise with this athlete, and he was saying that the athlete was actually like kind of partially going through 
the motions and the angles and the movements mm, mm. that he would do if he were actually in that situation. So it also became not only a psychological um, activity, but but a kinesthetic activity as well. Totally. Because there's kind senses. of, you, yeah, there are more senses involved. Yep. And I've noticed that as well when I take my athletes through this situation, that they start to like almost pantomime what they would do yes, if they were totally. caught like, okay, if I get lost, I'm going to turn around. And they actually like turn around right? to, you know, yes. to, to, to like actually, as Visualiz- if they were actually. Visualization. So, you know, either you can see yourself like through a move, like you're like, you know, the real and you see yourself or you see yourself in it. Like, you know, you're the blind, like from your eyeballs, right? Versus like watching a movie of mm-hmm. yourself. You could visualize like that. It's one way to visualize. And then another way is to actually just be doing it as if you're in that moment. Um, and both ways are great. Sometimes it's good to like lay in bed and just think about, you know, okay, every, this is everything I'm going to go right. And then, you know, I'm just going to remind myself that like, to be more aware if I feel like in my head that I might be getting lost, that intuition, right? Especially I think for long distance running and ultra mountain biking and all these things, you have to really rely on um, your ethos of just kind of, uh, you know, being more in a way, I almost feel like if you're doing the sport, you already kind of have a meditation of mindfulness. Cause you're doing the and sport. And so I work from that, yeah. you know, cause it's like, you know, you wouldn't choose to do that sport if it wasn't, you, you know, being able to be present in, in the moment because you just wouldn't be able to access that length of duration. Yep. Do you see what I'm saying? Yep. So that's the first thing is this, is this, this role playing or the scenario playing, like, what are you mm-hmm. going to do when the shit hits the fan? Yeah. Cause and it's going to happen. It, at some Cause point. It, it is. Yeah. And it's never, it's not never, but some, sometimes it is it's the situation. It. Yeah. It's sometimes part it, of what you're choosing to do. So I'll tell people, it's like, you're going to get a mechanical and mountain biking and have to pit. Right. So if you can't just be okay with that and freak out every time you have to pit, then we're going to have issues. Right. <laughs> and irrespective of how close the artificially generated scenario is to the real right. one that actually happens, the skill sets can still translate. So I encourage all the totally. athletes that are out there that are thinking about this in their, you know, they might be preparing for a big race. Like think about what you're going to do when the shit hits the fan, because right, exactly. ultra running, there's a lot of that going it's on. Easy it's to just fit picture us. Well, I even have athletes that can't picture themselves winning. That's a whole nother issue. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's the first thing. The second, the second thing I want to kind of peel back is, is like, how do you instruct your support crew? And mm. when I ask, when I ask athletes, this, inevitably it all it revolves around driving directions and the gear that they need yeah like i need them to turn left at the stop sign and get to this aid station by 8 42 a.m right and i'm going right. to need the pink jacket and i'm right. like okay well if but that what is, can they be saying to exactly you? yes exactly oh, I love, yes yes and, okay. and having signs and you know humor is a big one like having funny shit you know like that you're your wife knows about you that, you know, she's going to have friends on the, on the course yell at you, you know, like that you don't even like may not even know. Um, but like, you know, since I'm not talking to the wife and everyone, I get the athletes to tell the people that are going to be in their support crew, what they need, but also what they're going to need mentally, what, what to say when I look like I'm in like, like not a good place, you know, what's how, what level of energy do they need to be at? And then when I'm winning or whatever, 
what would be a good thing and energy to have when, you know, that I need to keep just like, you know, annihilating or whatever. Right. Um, so that's a huge part of it is like at your ultra running or ultra marathon riding or, you know, the biking or whatever you're doing, um, is having a support crew, but also just what are they saying, you know, hold Are they going to be holding, you know, a piece of paper up with, um, you know, your, uh, Keywords is a big thing. So with runners or mountain bikers, I'll sometimes have them do like um, words that get them back into the present Mm -hmm. when they start to go into like panic mode or this really hurts, you know, Um, and it could be breathe um, or it could be like um, push through the bullshit or I mean, I don't know, like kick, kill bitches, right? Like it can be all these whatever you need to get hype. But it's funny because a lot of, you know, my athletes really just, instead of being hyped, they need to be grounded and mm-hmm. centered for optimal performance. Yeah, and we, and we see this. It's so funny that you mentioned that. We see this in ultra running where a, a, an athlete has not done this prior proper proper preparation with their crew yep. and inform mm-hmm. them, hey, this is how, this is the energy I want you to have. These are the mm-hmm. things I want you to say. If I'm high, mm-hmm. do this. If I'm low, do this. Mm-hmm. If I'm doing great, you know, tell me this. Totally. They, they haven't gone through that. No. And inevitably. It's, it, it's, it's huge. It's huge. It's huge. And inevitably the way that that manifests itself actually out on the race course is there's this energy mismatch between the yeah. runner coming into the aid station and their crew. So the runner comes in and the crew, they want to help. I mean, that's, yeah. that's you know, it's in, it's in their nature. Right. And they think that the default way to help is to be over-enthusiastic and yes. yelling and screaming and things like that. When in, when in some cases, in reality... It's just, don't say anything. Don't just give me X, Y, be robotic. Exactly. Exactly. Having no, being vanilla. And and the, so then the... The other part of that is then you can watch the athlete leave the aid station and it's like they ran another three miles because of yeah. all of the energy that w- that it took to like manage whatever energy or lack thereof the crew was throwing right. at them. <laughs> so- exactly. And so it's, it's a lot of times it's like be vanilla, but then when the athlete is leaving, then that's when you, you know, you can cheer, yell, whatever, like, you know, as they're getting out and going, you know? So it's, I had it really be significant with my downhill racers, mm-hmm. their mechanics. Right. So what do you and have their mechanics that. do? Like, like, do you just have them like, no, it's, I have it's like the, the, the mechanics will go live with the athlete. Oh, just to get to like know them. Yeah. Really get yeah. to know each other. It's yeah. like, like, like your bestie now, mm-hmm. you know? So, I mean, that's why good, you know, a lot of good athletes will have the same mechanic their entire life. It's like a coach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, uh, I did this it is a little bit of a personal anecdote. I, I did this really cool, uh, like, uh, 300 kilometer, uh, race over in Italy called the Tour de Giants. Okay. And it was just, it was like completely outside of anything that I've, that I've ever done. It was going to take me four or five days and, you know, on and on and on and on and on. And my wife wow. was going to be my crew, which, you know, as you probably recognize, that could be a blessing or a curse, the wife right? Is typically, yes, the wife or husband. Yeah, they, they, they can either have like too much sympathy or yeah. you're worried about them the whole time. But anyway, it could go, it could right, go exactly. good or bad. Yeah, you're worried about them. That's another piece, right? So, so I was going through, okay, what do I want? My, my wife's name is Liz and I've mentioned her a few times on this podcast, so she doesn't mind. Um, but um, so I was, I was internally going through okay how am i gonna like coach liz on this whole thing right right and i 
one of the things that was intriguing about this race is I, it was so much unknown for mm-hmm. me. Like I hadn't right. done a six day stage race or anything like that. I'd done mm-hmm. something that's ex- that lasts 30 hours, certainly some, not anything that's four days. So I don't really know like how I'm going to react after day three or four or five or anything right. like that. Just hormonally, like your energy at, yeah, between S- the stages. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't want to guess. So right. the what so the only thing I told her like from the psychological perspective is I'm not quitting unless I've got a bone sticking out. Yes, okay. So That's just exactly don't, what sounds like me. Just don't let me <laughs> Don't like, let me quit. Don't just right. don't let me quit. Like I don't you know, I I didn't want to predict like, okay, if I'm in a good mood, I want you to do this. If I'm in a bad no, mood, because I don't know. Just, I didn't I didn't know. Yeah. So I like boiled it down to like the simplest no objective. Yeah, you know, walking, crawling. <laughs> if I still can do it, I you're I, you're kicking my ass to go to the start line. hundred <laughs> percent. So needless needless to say, I think the like the second piece that I really wanted to drive home with the listeners is like coach your crew on how yes. you want them to like manage their energy balance 100%. off of your energy and things like that. Yep. And again, that's taking that ownership, the wheel mm-hmm. and know that no matter what I say this all the time, no matter what you're driving this engine, no matter what against your team, like the, your team director or the bike company or whatever, you're human being for optimal performance you've got to, you've got to stand up mm-hmm. and you got to like, you got to ask and, 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 and work towards getting what you need, get your needs met. Um, met. And I think that's just that empowerment, but across genders yep. um, 100%. And, and races yep. and stuff. Yep. It's, um, you know, what we're learning in the world today. I, I'm very, I'm very, very, very honored and lucky that I got my education at like one of the best, universities for multiculturalism being taught and emphasized in all of our Mm -hmm. education clinically and as a sports psych. Um, And so uh, though a lot of the different sports that I do work with are going to, you know, be a lot more of the white dominance, um, you know, it's, I still work with women and we still have a long ways to go with um, women and and in 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 outside of sport so why do we think it's going to be to any different in sport and the same for mental health yep if something outside of sport is an issue it's only going to be like on fire (laughs) exasperated within like a smaller culture and that goes across any sport i totally agree with that we see it in trail running as well um the last the last area that I wanted to get your uh, take on, Kristen. This is mm-hmm. going to seem like a totally shameless plug, but I think one of the themes that is like that has emerged throughout this podcast. This is like, hey, if, if you think an athlete's a good fit, they're a good fit. If they're not a good fit, they're not a good fit. I mean, you're mm-hmm. you're really open about that. That it's mm-hmm. a athlete first mentality um, that you have. But a, a lot of athletes are gonna are, are gonna listen to this and go, okay, how, like, how do I know? Or what are what are some like telltale signs that I can use that would demonstrate to me that sports psychology would help me up my game? I mean, as a coach, when I'm working with an athlete on a day to day basis, like I can, I don't say I get it right all the time because I never get yeah. it right all the time, <laughs> but um, I, I can kind of tease that out where I I reach the limit of my capabilities in that area, and I say, listen, it's going to be in your best interest. Let's you know, get you with somebody like yourself or some of my other colleagues that, that I work with. But for the athletes that are, that are out there that don't work with uh, coaches or want to like take it on their own accord, 
Yeah. Like, how do they suss that out? I think it, I mean, I, I want to get to a point where no matter what, if you are a coached athlete and you're a weekend warrior or trying to win worlds and go to worlds or age group, or whatever, that you would at least um, maybe have a few sessions with a sports psychologist that could help you figure out what you need. Um, we're not there yet, but I think that, you know, I would invite that, that you don't have to be world-class. You don't have to be whatever, you know, I want you to be like, like, I love, like, I will have a conversation with the, with the world-class athlete, like world champion level athlete, I should say, because everyone's world-class in that <laughs> book. Um, and then I'll, I'll have a, a conversation with an athlete who hasn't raced in like five years, but still wanted to like work with me because they're in grad school or whatever. Right. And it's, I'm having the same conversations. Mm-hmm. So it's really little about what people would maybe put under the umbrella of psych and with my top level athletes i'm not teaching them so they got themselves there i didn't the coach didn't either they got themselves there yep. right so i just think it's it's if it sounds cool if you're like oh my god like it's not about just sport i can help what working with most i would say you know to plug myself in a healthy way is i'm helping you as a human and and if you're struggling in an area or not struggling or just think hey i want to be a better version of myself which I know will help my, my sport, then heck yeah, go talk to someone. It's not, you know, that's a good thing. It's like, you know, we just, you know, most people, when you get on insurance, you find a PCP. I want to live in a world where you find a PCP and a psychologist. Mm. That doesn't mean you talk to them every week. Maybe you just have a touch, a check with them once a month, you know? Um, so don't be like, don't be afraid, like break the mold. Let's, let's normalize mental health. Um, because sports performance is high performance is part of mental health. That's how I look at it. Yep. That's a great place to leave it, Kristen. I really appreciated your uh, perspective on that. Um, great before, First off, yeah. For, <laughs> first off, th- thank you for coming on the podcast, and also thank you for doing that. Continuing ed with our with our coaches, I'm really appreciative of that. Um, where can people go and find you to learn a little bit more about what you do? Yeah, so um, I do need to update my website because I usually put all my podcasts. We're the worst. (laughs) Oh, God, I'm so bad. And then I can't remember. Then I'm like, I know I did a podcast. Where do I find that one? You know, like go look myself up and like Google myself. I'm like, oh, my God, I feel so like that's where I have my my own issues. I'm like, oh, my God, I feel so weird doing this to find the articles that I've done or, you know, whatever. So my podcasts that I've done and all that are on my website any articles I've ever written or contributed to, like I've, I've helped with some um, you know, sport and like uh, depression ones with um, uh, some really amazing journalists uh, like Bonnie Ford and stuff. Um, so those are all there on all kinds of a wide range of topics of, of sports performance and mental health. And um, that's kind performanceconsulting.com very easy and you on that website can find how to contact me um, most people will just go through my website um, which is you know what I prefer and then on social media I am at the k2 which the short story about that is that I had a coach I was kind of a climber when I was racing and um, Mount k2 it's one of the highest peaks and Kristen kind of squared so it was kind of this thing um and that was like the early 2000s and it stuck it stuck and so when i was like you know trying to be graduating and i got my doctorate and i was like oh my god i need to change that and i I polled everyone and they were like no do not change it it's perfect it fits you you're not like the norm you kind of go against the norm of just trying to break that you know i'm just me i'm be authentic 
you know, just like this isn't something like I'm not Freud. I'm not going to like sit on a couch and, you know, you know, shame you or guilt you. It's like we're just going to have a chat. I'm going to find out your strengths and we're going to make you help yourself be a better version of yourself. And who doesn't want that? Oh, everybody you does. Know? So at the K2 for Twitter, Instagram, and then at the, yeah, Com Performance Consulting on LinkedIn. I don't really do anything on LinkedIn, but I'm also there. <laughs> Go give Kristen a follow on Instagram because I know that whenever I need to bring my heart rate down five or 10 beats, if I'm getting all riled up about something, I can go to Kristen's Instagram feed and it will instantly calm me down and get me recentered. So, <laughs> Well, that's, that's, that's kind of my goal. Yeah. So I just, I it gave me goosebumps just there because yeah. that's, yeah, I can be high energy. Don't worry. I, I can help the bill up, but most of us in today's world just need to be a breath of fresh air, you know, something that's just, yeah, calming and centering. And um, that's kind of what I, man, I think that's all what we all need right now. So podcasts are a great way. I love your podcast. Um, you know, I think you have really great information. And, um, you know, so I just encourage people to, you know, diversify, you know, follow some coaches and some people outside of your sport. I would say that to every sport, yep. you know. Appreciate that, Christian. Yeah, Kristen, I appreciate the, uh, the 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 kind words there. Everybody, go give Kristen a follow. She's a fantastic human being, as well as Thank a you. really killer sports psych person and a really good athlete as well. Kristen, thanks again. Really appreciate it. Awesome. And there we have it. Thanks, folks. Thank you to Kristen for coming on the podcast today. It was really fun. I hope everybody left this podcast with some mental tools that you can put into your toolbox, things that will make you a better ultra runner. Thanks to all of you for listening. Really appreciate the heck out of each and every one of you listeners. I appreciate all the feedback that I've gotten in this podcast so far. Very early in the game, but I'm very appreciative of everything that I've received on social media and also a lot of the reviews that I've seen on Apple Podcasts. Big shout out to Mike Carson for all of the post-production editing and audio engineering for this podcast as well as the rest of the podcasts in this lineup. We'll see you guys out on the trails, people.